All right, here we go. Number one, all right, so we go to read our Bible. We're, we're going to act like all of us are collectively going, and we're going to do what we did last week. So number one, what do you do? Um, you take distractions away. All right, you take distractions away. So we'll sum up one and two together. We'll remove ourselves from distractions, and then number two, we'll remove the distractions from ourselves. What does that mean? Okay, look, this might be the best area we have uh, that's kind of soundproof from the kids. So we came up here, we removed ourselves. We didn't go do the Bible study in the middle of the gym. We didn't go, all right, hey, we're going to go do it in the foyer in the church. No, we decided, hey, we're going to come up to a room. We're going to get a little bit in a quieter space. Does that make sense? And so that's what we've done now. And so now the next part's on you is removing the distractions from yourself. So what does that look like for you? That might be at this point, uh, maybe silencing your phone or maybe taking your Apple Watch off, something like that. And also another thing that we overlook is just clearing your mind from the things of this world, clearing your mind of all the things that you put your focus on during the day. Does that make sense? So how do you get into that space? You've got to erase all the things of this world when you're going to have a conversation with God. Does that make sense? We talked about the idea of prayer, like like how many of us are praying to God while we're holding the hand of the devil? And God's like, no, just just stop holding the hand of the devil and then just pray with me. I'd rather one-on-one attention than this half tension. So what we did with that little bit of exercise, I just wanted to show Allie that real quick as our great demonstrator here. She started off excited about eating a green Jolly Rancher, and she had these great intentions. But all of a sudden, when all those things started coming into her mouth, Uh, The green Jolly Rancher may have been there. And here's the part that's crazy. It was still possible for her to eat the green Jolly Rancher. Y'all following with me? You can still read your Bible technically with the things of the world in your mind. You can technically still read your Bible with your Apple Watch on. You technically can go through the motions of reading your Bible. Does that make sense? But it's more beneficial. It's more... um, Personal, it's more conversational when you just do that. The Jolly Rancher tastes a whole lot better just eating the Jolly Rancher, does it not, Allie? Right now it's amazing. Right now it's amazing. Very good. So that's that was just a demonstration of the distractions real quick. Y'all know I don't do demonstrations that much. But that's what it looks like when you try to have Bible study with all the other things of the world combined. It's like eating a Jolly Rancher with cinnamon gum, Cheetos, uh, peanut M&Ms. That's what it looks like. Y'all following with me? Yeah, what you got? Oh, I thought you raised your hand for something. All right, so good. So we removed distractions. Number three, what was the, what was the third thing we did? Trigger. Trigger. All right, so what's our trigger? Maybe maybe that's some of that gum, maybe some of the Jolly Ranchers, maybe not everything at once. And actually, I have something fun. Ben, do you want to light a candle for us tonight? Oh, oh good, good, good. All right, Ben, all right, Ben, you got, you got one good click here, all right? All right, good, good, good. Click, click. All right, here we go, here we go. All right, so what do we, all right, so what? Oh, before we go, we got to Careful, I know you're excited about the fire, all right? All right, so look, when we talked about the trigger, I mean, what, what do we really mean by trigger? Am, am I saying that you need to have a piece of juicy fruit to read your Bible? Am I saying you have to light a candle to read your Bible? Am I saying we're going through some ritual up here and, and I'm about to have a lamb come up here and we're going to do something freaky? No, none of that type of stuff. Are you following with me? What I'm doing, what are we doing right now? We are putting ourselves, yeah, we are, do, we are symbolically saying, God, I'm putting my focus on you. God, when I'm doing this, all my attention is going to you. Only you, God, are getting this. This is a symbol. Y'all following with me? It's something that's symbolic that you can do. You don't have to have this to have Bible study, but like y'all said, waking up in the morning, it's that intentional thing that you're doing. And guess what? When you're intentional with God, God gets intentional with you. Y'all following with me? So here, that's all we're doing with the candle, all right? We're not, there's nothing that's going to happen with the candle, all right? I hope not. You don't have any gas on you or anything. All right, good. Just like the candle. That'd be a really cool show if you light up. Oh, that's unfortunate, man. <laughs> oh, for one, oh, for one. Let's try the second shot. <sighs> Good, he's got one light for those you can see. I'm so proud of you, Ben. 
Oh, good, Ben. You're doing so much better. Yes, Ben. CP, I thought you well. Well done, Ben. All right, well done, Ben. Well done. All right, good, good, good. All right, so we have the candle lit. All right, number four, now where we at? Pray. Pray, okay, so now, now I just want y'all to, to see this real quick. We, at this point, where should we be at in our mental state? Where should we be at when it comes to our intentions? Where are we at at this point? It should be, it should be just you and God at this point. Y'all following with me? So if you've come into this room, you still have something of this world, I'm giving you the last opportunity right now as the, landles, the candle is lit to throw everything out. We had the demonstration last week. I was talking to Kate, and when she tried to tell me about her day, I just kept talking to Kyla, and then I pulled out my phone. I did all these different types of things, and Kate probably got frustrated because I didn't really know what she was saying. Y'all following with me? So this is it. We're in the one-on-one part right now, and now we're ready to pray. Again, that whole idea of, hey, first thing you do is pray. Y'all following with me? Some of it is true in a way, but some of it's not true. Does that make sense? Sometimes we need to just let go of the world and then pray. Y'all following with me? So that's what we're doing now. So now we're ready to pray. So Jack, you can pray, and then we'll dive into the Word. You ready, Jack, Jack? All right, take us away, Jack. Uh, God, I pray that we can all just um, take this Amen. All right, so we're going to walk through this as if it's a Bible study with all of us together, and we're going through it. So John chapter 15, verse number 1. When we go into reading the Bible, when we go into reading the Scripture, what should our heart be like? When we talk about a couple different things, our heart should be softened. What are some other things we need to do? What what does our heart need to be when we're we're reading the Bible? What does it need to be? It needs to be humble. That's exactly right. Humble. So what does it mean to be humble? Not selfish. That's good. Okay, good. Not selfish. Anything else? What else we got? When you go to read your Bible, anything else? You have to read it with your whole heart. What does a whole heart mean? All your focus. All your focus. All right, so, so we've done that. Another thing we got to do is we've got to read with a heart that's ready to submit. You've got to read with a heart ready to submit. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. Does that make sense? Read with a heart that's ready to submit to what it says. So in verse number one, it starts off by saying, I am the, I am the true vine, and my father is the, what is it? Gardener. Gardener. Verse number two. You want to take us away, Alex? cuts off every branch of mine that Okay, so we're going through our steps of our own Bible study. You have your notepad out, possibly a journal, and you're writing down any key things. So, again, speaking out loud, what are any key things that you're seeing immediately at the beginning? Which guy's that? Uh, that I'm a vine, he's the gardener. Whoa, okay, so I'm the vine, he is the gardener. What does that mean to you? As you're reading it with a heart that's ready to submit, as you're reading it with a heart that's ready to respond, what does that mean to you? It means that like he made me, and then he also takes care of me. Without him, then I wouldn't be prospering. This is right. Good, good, good. All right, so that's a good point. All right, so anything else? As you're reading this, remember, this is what you're doing as you're doing your Bible study. So what is it? Anything else y'all see? We have to produce um, usable fruit. Produce usable fruit. Don't you see that? It's a call to this fruit. It's, and what do we mean usable fruit? What does it mean to have fruit that's usable? This is good, y'all. This is good. Like, glorify Him in everything we do. Like, be a disciple of Him, I guess. Yeah, it's all good. That's good. That's good. All right. Uh, anything else that you are seeing as we keep going? Verse number four, remain in me and I in you. What is that a call to do when it talks about God uh, being the vine? 
If we're to remain in Him. What does that mean? It's a call of action. It's a call of submission. Don't y'all see that already in verse number 4? It's submitting to abide in Him. Submitting to abide in Him. Any of y'all in 1 John as y'all are reading it, how many times did y'all see abide in me? Okay. Verse number 5 as we keep going. Take us away, Jack. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, that's exactly what Zach was saying, right? Apart from God, you can do nothing, right? Uh, ben, you want to read verse number six for us? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Whoa, okay, so we see something in verse number 6. What is sticking out now in verse number 5 and 6? It seems we have two options, right? And what are the two options? Yeah, let's just simplify it. As we're just reading God's Word, remember, we're not trying to understand everything. We're trying to comprehend just what we know and what we're seeing, right? And so as we're seeing right here, it looks like there's two outcomes, right? And what are the two outcomes? You bear fruit or what? Or you burn. You bear fruit or you burn. So when we talk about that wiggle room, is there much wiggle room where we're at night round? No, so what it, I hope we are seeing why that heart of submission, that tender heart is so important because you can go one way or the other here. And that's your only two options. Okay, verse number seven. Go ahead and take us away, Mary. If you remain in me and my words remain okay. in you. Okay, uh, I, I had to just cut you off right there. Don't y'all see? Okay. How do you remain in him? Remember, you have two options, fruit or burn. Y'all, y'all do see the symbolism here. Doing things for God's glory and God's kingdom as you're going to heaven or doing nothing for God's glory and all for yourself down to hell. Y'all see the two differences. That's literally what we're seeing right here. As cut and dry as we can make it. And so now as you see the two options, you can either abide in him or abide in yourself. Choose God or choose yourself. And now as we get to see, how do we abide in him? What is it very clearly right up there it says? What does it say? Bear fruit. What does it say in verse number seven? If you abide in me in my words. What are you holding in your hand? The Word of God. You can't abide in God. You can't abide in Christ if you don't know what His Word says. If you don't even know what it means to abide in Him. This whole idea of me saying you need to read your Bible is not so you can be deemed a good kid, not so that you can be deemed a checklist kid or a, a church-going kid. It's that way you can have a personal, ongoing, growing relationship with Christ and abiding in Him. We'll keep going with him, will you? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, what a promise here. So we get to see when we're abiding in him, on top of that, what is the benefit here? It's not abiding in him so you can't do anything in life. It's not abiding in him so that way you can't have any joy. When you're abiding in him, what do we get to see here? A promise of what? I mean, what does it say directly? What does it say directly? There's, no, there's really no true questions. Um, whatever you wish. Whatever you ask, it will be done unto you. What do we get to see here? When you're abiding in Christ, your heart decides to desire the things of God. Does that make sense? So that's changeable heart. Verse number 8. Here we go. Uh, Connor? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Good. Verse number 9. Keep going, Connor. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Okay, again, we've we're, we're gone through verse number, verse number 10. Is anything sticking out? Is there anything pointing? What, what are y'all seeing here? Abide in God's love. What does that mean to abide in God's love? Have any of y'all been reading 1 John? Do y'all not see how close this is to 1 John? 
How many times did it say, if you are my disciple, if, if you are one of my followers, you do what? You love others. Right? And so now we're even seeing, again, in the writing, your probably writing should be in red, so this is Jesus speaking. And what is he saying right here? As, as, what are we called to do? We're supposed to love as Christ loved. And how did Christ love? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. Unselfishly. Okay? So again, as you're writing notes down, this is what you, this is just to help you out. A good note is love like Christ. Love unconditionally. Follow His commands. Know His words. Abide in Him. Bear much fruit. You see what I'm saying? That's literally all the notes you're doing. Now you might be saying, James, well, why, why am I writing notes? Like, what's the importance of it? Why do you write a note? Seriously, why do you write notes? To remember it. To remember it. To go back to it. To go back to it. Anything else? It's humbling. Okay, good. That was straight. It was humbling. What was the other thing? To share it with other people. And to share with other people. I do not want y'all to miss this. Even if you're one of those people who comprehend everything and you think you're getting everything on your own and you can just sit back and take it all in, sometimes you write a note for someone else. One day you're going to pass away and your family's going to go through your belongings. And guess what happens when they go through your belongings? They see a notebook. And they look at the date and they say, wow, 2022. God was speaking with Kate. A testimony that goes beyond your life. Y'all following with me? I, I kid you not, this is really cool. This is from 2016, my first year at LSU Eunice. I was writing notes in the notebook. And I go back through it from time to time. And, and I hope one day, maybe a brother of mine gets it. Maybe a friend of mine gets it. Y'all following with me? So it's above yourself. It's, it's, it's humbling to write a note. Y'all following with me? It's really cool when you think about it, right? To think that maybe your loved one who maybe maybe didn't get to see Christ, maybe didn't have a relationship with Christ, but then are going through your things and going, wow, in 2022, Paco was saying to love others. I remember that time. Paco was acting different. You, you see, it's really cool when you think about it. It's going above yourself. And that's what we talk about. Writing notes in that regards is not selfish. Y'all following with me? So it's, it's really cool when we see it. Okay, good. I just wanted to get that point. That's why I'm talking about the notes. I, I, I kid you not. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, hey, Jack, you got a notebook or a bookshelf full of notes. Like It's not anything like that. Y'all following with me? The notes you're writing are for God's glory. It's for, for sharing his word. Okay, we keep going. Verse number 11. I like this. Verse number 11. Uh, Ava? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So in verse number 10, as we read, if you keep my commandments, as typical Christian Americans, what are we thinking we're already having to do? We're thinking our life is already restricted because we have to follow what God commands. Did we not already think that? Did we not already think, all right, following God's commands means I can't do a lot of things. God's commands are guidelines for you to live a life that's full of joy. God's commands are guidelines for you to live a life that's full of joy. We talked about this past Sunday morning. The difference between a Christian and the difference between a sinner is sinners chase after thrill, after thrill, after thrill. And sometimes we catch sinners at the top of a thrill having a good time. But guess what? All roller coasters end. All people who jump out of buildings hit the ground. All parachute people who don't have parachutes that go off eventually are going to hit the ground. The thrill's going to run out. The difference between you is when you abide in Christ, the joy never runs out. So you might be confused and be like, my friends are having a great time. It seems like they're living life to the fullest. They're in a thrill. And guess what happens when the thrill ends? They have to find another thrill. 
You can talk to these parents in the room and they can probably admit they in their life, if they look back in their past, can really identify. In reality, I just kept chasing a thrill. And then another thrill. And then another thrill. And it wasn't until they find that joy in Christ that they say, this is something that's constant. I'm not seeking anything else anymore. I'm not needing something else. So that is that cool difference here. Guidelines following God's commands, as we see in this scripture, as we're reading it, is so our joy may be filled. Our joy may be full. Y'all following with me? It's cool when you think about it. Uh, Verse number 12. Let's take us away. Uh, Kyle, is this making sense? Good, good. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, as we do typical Bible studies like I definitely used to do, and I'm just reading through that. Yeah, love, love people, love people, love people, right? Why is there more to that verse than, than we think? That you love one another as I have loved you. It's not loving people the way that you think you should love them. It's loving people the way that Christ loved you. We get a cop out and say we're just going to love people the way we think we should love them. And that's love. No, we're supposed to love them like Christ. That's a different type of love. Y'all following? That makes it different. And y'all guys said that Christ loved us in what ways? Unconditionally, unselfishly. So how are you demonstrating that love? Not just to your boyfriend or girlfriend, not just to your best friends. Because remember, hey, were you always Christ's best friend? Weren't you an enemy of Christ before you were a child of God? This is cool, right? This is a different type of love. This is a love that's really unexplainable. It surpasses it's love that surpasses knowledge. If you want to shock your friend group, if you want to shock your school, if you want to shock your sporting team, start loving people unconditionally and vocalize it and be doers of it. Until then, you just look like everybody else. Right? Good. We're doing very good. I like that verse. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse number 13. Cole, take us away. Bear love has no one in this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Verse number 14 Ye are my friends. Ye are my friends if what? If you do what I command. That's crazy. Verse number 15. So again, we get to see this. It's a commandment, but it's not forced upon you to follow. You will never be forced to have a relationship with Christ. You will never be forced to grow in Christ. Y'all following with me? Verse number 15. Take his white cake, dog. We're going to go a little bit quicker. I do, not, I do not call you servants anymore because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. Verse number 16, take us away, Kate. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name will have you. We've gone through 16 verses. What are some key things that are sticking out to you? What are some things that maybe have just uh, hit you? Anything that you would write down? What would be anything in these verse 16 verses? Remember, if there's nothing that you're taking from it, there's no point in us doing it. Does that make sense? So in 16 verses, what is anything that has stuck out to you as you're reading through it? Love others. Love others. And, and to love others in what way? In the way that Christ 
in the way that Christ does. And Christ just said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What does that mean? My life is of lesser value, not lesser value, but my life is not as important as it is uh, for me to love you. Does that make sense? My, my flesh, myself cannot override loving you. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Who's someone that you can identify that's hard to love? Seriously. You have adults in this room who probably could admit there's people that are hard to love. You have students in this room that say there's some classmates that are just hard to love. There are teammates that are just hard to love. As God has called us, how are we supposed to love them? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. And how difficult is that in reality? Would you want to lay your life down for that person that's hard to love right now? Seriously, think about it. Would you be willing? And the, and the scripture is not saying that you go out there and you're, and you're trying to find ways to die. It's not, that's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is a pursuit of loving them to the point that your life is not as important as theirs. Does that make sense? That's what loving others means. Okay, so good. Verse number 17. These things I command ye, you that ye love one another. So again, we see a call to love everyone, and then a call here to love one another. We see here something different in verse number 17 that's a little bit different. How do we love one another? Okay, so we get the idea of loving those who maybe aren't our friends, but how are we supposed to love one another? How about those who are in the church who are professing born-again believers? If you belong in a church long enough, you'll come to find out some of the most hard, difficult people to love are people in the church because hypocrites. So I, I kid you not, the, the thing is, is we've gotten decent at loving the world, but then talk about people in the church and it gets a little bit more difficult because they're just not living right. And it's on them and, and, and I don't have to love them unconditionally. If everyone got along, why do we have so many churches? Seriously. You will not and never will always agree with everybody at your church. But that never gives you a right to not love them unconditionally. Seriously. You stay in a church long enough and you're going to find out there are different opinions. But you love them unconditionally. One of the things that I've started to, to, to realize as just growing in Christ and I've struggled with it very early on when I first became a youth minister, and now is a change, any time that I, that I see a difference of opinions, any time that I see any sort of conflict, immediately they go on my prayer list. And I'm not praying for them to change to my idea, but I'm praying for God to show me ways I can still love them and keep loving them. Y'all following with me? And it's weird how your heart starts changing in that way. I just don't want y'all to miss out on that. It's important you love one another in this group. It's important that you love one another in this group. And you're not all going to agree with each other. Spend a week at camp. I'm sure something will pop up, right? Share a bathroom, girls. Something's going to pop up, right? Okay? All it takes is one bathroom shared, okay? Verse number 18, as we keep going, as we're going to fly real quick, we got about three minutes. Uh, hopefully you are seeing this. This is how you can do this. It's just, it's just Bible study. You're going slow, and you're just picking out the things that are sticking out in your mind. You're, uh, you're asking God to move in a way. You're seeing a way that you can submit. You probably already at this point are saying, there's probably some people I need to love like Christ loves. You talk to people who don't go to church, one of the main reasons they don't go to church is why. Can you give me any reason? They don't feel like waking up early. Don't feel like waking up early. Hypocrites. They feel they're going to be judged. They gonna be judged. All those th- hey, do y'all realize all those things are a love problem? 
Y'all see it? You're going to wake up early for the people you love. You're going to wake up to go in places that you're going to feel loved. If you have a church family that loves you, it's not that hard to wake up anymore. If you have a church family that you're excited to be around, it's not that hard to wake up anymore. Hey, if you go to a church that's not judgmental, that's great, right? Who likes being judged? Any of y'all like being judged? I'm going to start wearing anything I wear into the room. I'm going to be like, everybody judge what I'm wearing, all right? Scale of 1 to 10. Would that be annoying? That would be annoying, right? So how do, you, how do you demonstrate that is what I'm trying to explain to you guys. Because you're coming to the same church as right. So how are you making someone else feel so loved they're here? Seriously. How are you making someone else feel so loved that they're here? How many of y'all's immediate response to the person at your school that just does not live like Christ, that just lives exactly like the world, that person that just kind of irritates you a little bit, shows up at church this Sunday? How many of y'all's first move is to go say hey to them and give them a hug and tell them how happy you are that they're here? Would that be difficult for you? Like, just be real. I know it'd be difficult for me. You see, it's, it's a little bit different than just, oh, I'm supposed to love others, right? Verse number 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. Whoa, whoa, y'all see that real quick? I tell you guys this all the time. You want to fit in with the world, just do what the world's doing. But guess what? The world's going to chase something else. You're going to have to find another way to fit in. You're going to have to chase thrill after thrill after thrill. Hey, you can fit in with the world. Seriously. Find a group of people and just do what they do. You'll fit in. But were you called to fit in with the world? What's one of the most difficult things in high school? Peer pressure, fitting in, acceptance. It's tough, right? It's tough. All right, if you're of the world, the world would not love his own. I mean, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. What does it mean when it's saying the world hated you? That means that you live in such a way, in such a light, that guess what? Your light, the way that you're living, shines on their darkness. I have friends of mine who have said the same thing over and over again. One of the most difficult things for me to realize after I gave my life to Christ is realizing all the people I was friends with, now that I start making stands for the Lord, no longer want to hang out with me. And this whole time I thought they loved me, and all this whole time I thought they were friends with me, but all of a sudden when I started taking stands for the Lord, they stopped hanging out with me as much as they used to. Be gone. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. In verse number 20, we are seeing that what God has called you to do is to stand as him, is not to do anything that Christ didn't do already. Does that make sense? You're not doing this by yourself. You're not standing alone. Christ has done it first. He's the example, verse number 22. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they, they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. Again, in verse number 22, what are we seeing? What? Why did they hate Christ? Did they hate Christ because he loved them unconditionally? Why did they hate Christ? Because they knew they had to make a change. That, that is exactly right. When the light was shined on their darkness, it revealed that some change had to take place. And the people were unwilling to make the change. So guess what they do? They hate Christ to shine light on their darkness. When you shine a light, you are shining light on things that were once in the dark.
Verse number 23, He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. In verse number 24, what is Jesus saying? That nobody has any excuse. Anyone who interacted with me has no excuse. The question I have for you is, people who interact with you, do they have any excuse on who Christ is? That's the question that's being asked. Do the people that you are closest with have any excuse, whether they know Christ or not, through your life? Verse number 25, I'm just, I'm just reading it just so we're going quicker. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Verse number 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Verse number 27, And he shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. We close out that chapter, and I want you guys to see in 1 John, as you continue doing your reading, how crazy all the overlapping themes are. Seriously, those who've been reading the 1 John, do y'all not see how, does anything different in this chapter? It's very much the same. The last thing I'm going to ask you guys to do is as we're going through our notes, you write down key notes. What is another thing you would do? A summary. All right, so you have a summary. And then one, one other thing is a, is a key verse. So what, do any of y'all have a key verse in this chapter that stuck out to you? Anything that you can think of? What you got, Amelia? John 15, 18. John 15, 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Zach, what you got? 11 and 17, which says, These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. What is the next one? Anyone else? 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Anything else? 14. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. Anything else? 19 is cool. 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth, uh, go bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If you ever are curious as to what the will of God is for your life, verse number 16 is the will of God uh, for your life. I have ordained you, I have chosen you that you should go and bring forth fruit. There is no born-again believer who is not called to go. There is no born-again believer who is called not to bear fruit. As we see early on, if you abide in me, you bear fruit or you're burned. Okay? Cut and dry. People who ask the question, I struggle with God's will. That's verse number 16. Anything else? Six and nine. Six and nine. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And the men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye and my love. Anything else as we go? So we'll go ahead and the summary. If you were to give me one summary on this chapter. And it doesn't have to be like a perfect summary of everything encapsulating and you're writing this speech in English 101 in your college course which some of y'all will be taking here soon. What would you just sum it up in your own way? How God spoke to you? How would you sum it up in that chapter? God's commands and guidelines for you to live a life of joy. That's good. That's spot on. Anything else? That's really good, Brennan. Love others. Love others. That's good. Do y'all not see how cool that is? 